0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people, to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. As a fellowship, we are right now journeying together through the New Testament letter that is in your Bibles called 1 John. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it this morning to the book of 1 John. And In the first section of this letter, John, the author, is writing to us about a believer's walk. And when we talk about our walk as Christians, we're not just talking about the church part of our lives, right? When we talk about our walk, we're not just talking about when we come to church on Sunday or even when we're at small group during the week or just when we're in our God time in the morning. When we're talking about our walk, we're talking about something much bigger than that. In the first week of this series, we gave you a definition of walk, and I want to put it back up here. Your walk, let's read it out loud. Your walk is the way you live your life. That's what your walk is. Your walk is simply the way that we're living our lives. And so John is writing to us as believers, and he's addressing the way that we live our lives moment by moment. And when he opened this section of the letter, he began by challenging us as believers to walk in the light. And let me remind you what that looked like. We wrote, we gave a statement about that. To walk in the light is to live life in what? Say it out loud. Constant fellowship with God. Meaning that you and I are to live our lives moment by moment, allowing God's presence and fellowship with Him to permeate every aspect of our lives. It's not just that we come to church on Sunday and we meet with God and that's supposed to fill our tank for us to then go live Monday through Saturday apart from God and hope we make it to next Sunday to come back in to get filled up with God again. No, you and I are to live our lives in what? Constant fellowship with God. Moment by moment, whether I'm at church, whether I'm at work, Whether I'm at Walmart, whether I'm on the ball field, I am living my life in fellowship with God. And what John has been doing in this letter is he has been teaching us and giving us evidence of what it looks like when we're living our lives moment by moment in fellowship with God. For example, John said when we live our lives in fellowship with God, the first thing we looked at is that we get honest with God about our sin. We stop trying to cover it up. We stop trying to be dishonest, but we simply get honest with God. When you and I are walking in constant fellowship with God, we get honest with God about our sin. A second thing that John pointed out is that we begin to experience victory over sin in our daily lives. As we begin chapter 2 of this letter, John wrote to us and he said, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. And John is teaching us that as we walk in fellowship with God, we can experience victory over sin in our daily lives. Then John began to teach us that as we walk in fellowship with God, we lovingly obey God as the overflow of our fellowship with Him. And here's what's important about that obedience is not the focus of our lives as believers. Obedience is the fruit of our lives as we focus on intimacy and fellowship with God. So obedience spills out of our lives as we pursue moment by moment fellowship with the Father. And then last weekend, Pastor Tom led us and we looked at how when we're walking in fellowship with God, we love one another. One of the evidences of of Christ in us and this overflow of the fellowship of God in our lives is our love relationship (coughs) with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's (coughs) where we've come so far. We've been discussing what it looks like to live moment by moment in fellowship with God and the evidence of that in our lives. Now, Up until this point, John, he's kind of taking the gloves off. Amen? I mean, this has not been a little seeker-friendly kind of talk that John wrote here in 1 John. He's been in our faces. John has been very pointed. John has been very strong. And I think the reason that we're going to read the verses that we're about to read, I think the reason under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that John wrote this next section of Scripture is because he sensed the strength of the letter that he was writing, and he sensed the, the, the power behind these words. And he wanted to almost take a, a moment right here in the middle and encourage us. He felt like, hey, what I've written so far has been pretty strong. Let me speak a word of encouragement to the church. Because here's what John knew. The same thing that's true about our church today was true about the church John was writing to. And here's what that means. As we think about our church here this morning... There are all different levels of our walk with God as we think about our fellowship. There are some people here, you're going to be baptized today. We're having baptism at the end of our services and all of our services today. Some of you are going to be baptized today. You are a brand new follower of Jesus Christ. You've just come to know, maybe last Sunday, is when you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you are brand new in the family of God. And so John wanted to write in this letter a word to those that were brand new in their walk with the Lord. But he also understood that there were people in the fellowship who'd been walking with God for a very long time. People that had had years of walking with God, depth of maturity in their relationship with God. They were experiencing victory. John understood that in any fellowship... There are people that are in different places in their walk with God. Some of us are experiencing victory. Others today are more in the world of the struggle. Some of you came in here experiencing a week of spiritual high. God, is His presence has just saturated your life. Others of you came in this week and and you're not feeling that. You're at a low point. But John, in the next section that we're about to read is writing some things... To the whole church that are true about all of us regardless of where you are in your walk. So let's read it. First John chapter 2 beginning in verse number 12. John says, he opens, I'm writing to you little children. Now that little phrase, little children, it's it's John's favorite term throughout this letter to refer to the whole church. As a matter of fact, six different times in this letter, John uses this word to describe the whole fellowship. It's a word that just means born ones. He's writing to everybody who's in the family. I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. If that's good news, say amen. I'm, hey, he, John just said, hey, I know we've been writing about the struggle. I know I've been challenging you about obedience. I know I've been speaking to you about experiencing victory. But here's what I want to say to all of you. Don't forget this. Because you've been born again, your sins have been forgiven. Let's read on. Verse, verse 13. He says, I'm writing to you fathers... Now, if you're going to really try to bring that into today, if we were writing this in our vernacular today, we would probably there insert the word leaders. He's writing to those who are spiritually mature. They're leaders in the fellowship. I'm writing to you leaders, fathers, because you know Him, who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men. These would be, if we were writing this today, we might say younger believers, newer believers... I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children. This is a different word than the first word for children. This means babies. We get our our English word pediatricians from this Greek word. He's talking about infants. Now he's writing to to spiritual babies. Babies. I've written to you children because you know the Father. It's interesting. The same thing he said to the leaders, the spiritually mature, he now says to the babies. You know what he's saying? Hey, when it comes to an intimate relationship with the Father, we're all on an equal playing field. Verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take these verses and unpack for us three foundational truths That are for all of us as believers. What we're going to look at this morning, it's true about every one of us today who are born again into relationship with God. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of your walk with God. I understand today that as I'm speaking, there are some people in this room who are brand new in their walk. There are other people that are very mature in their walk. But listen, what I'm about to tell you from God's Word doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you just got in the door or if you've been walking with God for 50 years, what I'm about to unpack from God's Word is true about all of us and should encourage us this morning. Here's the first one. I want to give you these in three words, and then we're going to have a statement that we're going to read together. Here's the first word. Forgiven. Forgiven. And here's the statement. I have been forgiven of all My sin. I want you to read that out loud with me, starting right here with I. You ready? One, two, three. I have been forgiven of all my sin. Listen, that's worth coming to find out today. Amen? (laughs) Did you hear the way he wrote it? He said here in verse 12, because your sins have been forgiven. Did you hear that? Past tense. You know what that means? Done. That means this morning you are not awaiting the forgiveness of God. This morning, if you are his child, you have already experienced the forgiveness of God. It is a completed action. But what's important about the way he wrote it here in 1 John, it's a unique tense in the Greek language. It's what's called a perfect tense, which means it's action that has happened, it's done, it's completed, but it has ongoing, continuous effect into eternity. The forgiveness that you and I have experienced is complete. It's finished. It's done. It's settled. But it has has ongoing, continuous effect in our lives. And I love this, it's also in the passive voice. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, when something in the New Testament is in the active voice, it means the subject is doing the action. But when it's in the passive voice, it means the subject is receiving the action. Here's what that means. You and I have been forgiven, and it wasn't because of anything we did. We didn't earn God's forgiveness. We didn't deserve God's forgiveness. We didn't merit God's forgiveness. We've received forgiveness because of what Jesus has already done. We have been forgiven. Now, we hear the word forgiveness, and we have a hard time with it. Because the way we use the word forgiveness is not like... The way God uses the word forgiveness. For example, here's how we use the word forgiveness. I forgive you. And here's what we mean by that. I'm going to take this. (laughs) And I'm going to put it right over here. And I forgive you. But if I ever need it. I know where it is, and don't you dare think that I won't drag it back out if I need to. But I forgive you. But you just remember, I got it. Anybody else experience forgiveness like that? That's not the way God forgives. Let me give you a definition of forgiveness according to the scripture. Here's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the removal. Where is it? Is it coming? I forgive you. Let me just give it to you. I don't think they're going to put it up there on the screen. (laughs) Forgiveness is the removal of the guilt and shame of sin. Past, present, and future. There it is. It's the removal of the guilt and shame of sin. Past, present, and wait, 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 wait. You telling me that all the sin that's in my future? Hey, you haven't forgotten that when Jesus died on the cross, all your sins were in the future. So if the sufficiency of Christ's death If the atoning work of Jesus is not sufficient for sins in the future, we're all in a whole lot of trouble. Here's what I'm telling you. When Jesus died and rose again, he bore the penalty for every sin I've ever committed, every sin I'll commit today, or every sin I will ever commit in my life. I have been forgiven of all my sin. (laughs) Forgiven. Let me try to help you. Wrap your minds around this. There are some Old Testament verses that give us pictures of God's forgiveness. Let me read some of them to you. First, so the first picture is the picture of a globe. It's out of Psalm 103, verse 12. Look what it says. As far as the east is from the what? So far has He removed our transgressions from us. That's what the word forgive means. The word forgiveness means to remove, to set free, to release. <coughs> the psalmist writes, and he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin from us. And why is that important? Well, I had him give me a globe I want to show you this morning. This is a globe, right? You can see that. Now, if he had said, as far as the north is from the south, I can put my finger right here, and that's the what? North Pole, right? Now, when I start trekking down on this globe, when I get to the bottom, what am I going to hit? South Pole, right? When I hit the South Pole and I start coming back up this side, what, am I, what direction am I now traveling? I'm going north, right? I get all the way up here again, I hit the North Pole, and now I'm traveling what? If God had said in His Word, that I am removing your sin from you as far as the north is from the south, that would have been a measurable distance. Because we know how far that is. You You can measure that. Here's what that would mean. If God had said, as far as the north is from the south, here's what he would have said. I'm forgiving you, but there's a line. And when you cross that line, that's too much. You have exceeded the forgiveness of God. But he did not say the north and the south. He said the east is from the west. So, so let's put our finger on this globe and let's just start traveling east. When, when we going to travel west? Here's when we're going to travel west. When we stop, turn around, head the other direction, right? You know what that means? The distance between north and south is measurable. But the distance between east and west is infinity. And listen to me. This was written in the Psalms back when they thought the earth was flat. They'd never seen a globe yet. Here's what that means. God has taken all of your sin. God has taken all of my sin from my past, in my present, and in my future, and he has removed it from us infinity. That's how forgiven we are. Let me show you another picture. Another picture is the sea. In Micah chapter 7, listen to what the prophet Micah writes in chapter 7, verse 18. He said, who is a God like you? Micah's sitting around one day and he's just blown away by the forgiveness of God. He just can't comprehend how forgiving he is. Who's a God like this? Who's a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast. Aren't you glad it didn't say most? Some, a few, you will cast, say it out loud, all their sins into the what? Depths of the sea. Let me ask you a question. You ever lost anything in the ocean? I mean, there's lost, and then there's ocean lost, right? I'm going to put a picture up on the screen of the ocean. Look at this. Here it is. Look at this picture. You ever stood on the balcony of a hotel or the deck of a cruise ship and just looked out at the vastness of the ocean? It's kind of terrifying, isn't it? I've been on a ship before out in the middle of the ocean and been looking out at a sea like that and thought, man, if you fell in here, it's just over, right? I mean... That boat's gone. Remember when I was a little kid, we would go down to the ocean for vacation. We'd go down. To, I grew up in Alabama. You know that. I, we'd go down to uh, what we call Gulf Shores, or back home we call it the Redneck Riviera. <laughs> we'd go down to Gulf Shores, Alabama. and My dad was famous for bobbing in the ocean. He would, he would go out about 20, 30 yards. The water's about this deep. And he would literally stand there for eight hours and just up and down and we were little kids we'd go out and we'd stay out there as long as we could swimming around and then we'd have to come in he'd just stand there with his feet on the bottom he he'd just bob and one day a wave hit him and his glasses came off and we were out there swimming with him and we were literally in, in four or five feet deep of water and those glasses came down and and we dove down underwater we did it we they were just four or five feet of water and they were gone I mean, you can't find them. They're gone. We we just, for the first time, my my family here, we went back this summer to Gulf Shores, Alabama. It's been over 35 years since we were there. And, you know, we didn't go back thinking, I wonder if we can find those glasses this time. (laughs) You know why? Because when you lose something in the ocean, baby, it's gone. And that's just in four or five feet deep water, right? Micah did not say, that He's taken all of our sins and cast them into the shallows of the sea. The Bible says He's cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, now how deep is that? Well, we don't know for sure. As a matter of fact, oceanographers tell us the deepest trench that we know of in the ocean is off the coast of Japan. It's called the Mariana Trench. The Mariana Trench is over 36,000 feet deep. Now, to give you some kind of a box to put that in, Mount Charleston over here to our west is 11,000 feet tall. So the Mariana Trench is three times deeper than Mount Charleston is tall. To give you some more perspective, the tallest mountain peak on planet Earth is Mount Everest, and Mount Everest is just over 29,000 feet tall. So the depths of the ocean are deeper than the highest peaks of any mountain on planet Earth. If that's not deep enough for you, the Mariana Trench is is five times wider than it is deep, which means it is 120 times the size of the Grand Canyon. And God said... (laughs) I've taken all of your sin, every sin that's a a sin of action, every sin that's a sin of the heart, every sin that's a sin of the mind. And God said, in Christ, I've buried it in the depths of the sea. Third picture, third picture, Isaiah chapter 38. Y'all got to listen faster, Isaiah 38. Look what it says. He says, it is you. Who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast, say it out loud, all my sins. Where? Behind your back. It's a Hebrew construction for the middle of the back. I want you to do something. Sit up on the edge of your seat. Sit up on the edge of your seat. Here's what I want you to do. You ready? On the count of three. On the count of three, I want you to look at the middle of your back. One, two, three, go. Now, if you can successfully do that, when we finish, you need to drive to the closest emergency room. Because something is broken if you can do that. You know what that means? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. God has taken all of your sins. And put it somewhere where he will never look at it again. Hey, hey, hey. You ever come to the Lord and said something like this? Lord, it's me again. Or, God, I did it again. You know what my father says? I'm sorry, again? I have no recollection. Of what you speak of. Because you are forgiven. One more picture. You got to see this one. Isaiah 43. Look what he said. I. This is God speaking. I. Even I. Am the one who wipes out your transgressions. Get this. For my own sake. And I. Will not. Remember your sins this does not mean that God forgives and forgets he's God if he forgets something he would cease to be God let me tell you what this means That God, in His sovereignty, chooses to never remember your sin again. There's a great linguistic scholar named Spiros Zodiates. And I want to put up here the way Spiros Zodiates defines this word remember in Hebrew. Look what he says. It's a verb meaning to mention, to recall, to think about. To think on, to be remembered, to acknowledge, or to make known. Think about this. When it comes to your sin, God will never mention it. God will never recall it. God never thinks about it. He never thinks on it. He never remembers it. He never acknowledges it. He's never going to make it known again. You and I have been forgiven. And get this. This is not just for the spiritually mature. John's writing here saying, hey, I'm talking to those that just got in the door last week. You just came to know Jesus Christ this morning and those that have been walking with God for 50 years. You have been forgiven. Here's what that means. My forgiveness is not rooted in my performance. My forgiveness is rooted in my position in Christ we are forgiven second one we got to move on second one secure let's read this statement I am secure in my relationship to the father I'm not just forgiven I'm secure do you hear what he said I'm writing to you fathers and I'm writing to you children because you know the Father. You know the Father. It's that same tense. It's that perfect tense. Meaning there was a moment in the past when you came to know Him. And what happened in the past has ongoing, continuous effect into the future. Here's what that means. The relationship that you enjoy with the Father, even though you're going to have ups and downs, (coughs) you and I are going to have moments of victory, moments of defeat. We're going to have moments where we walk in the light and in the truth, and we're going to have moments when we believe the lie and we fail. Here's what he said. You have a relationship to the Father. Listen, I'm not trying to know Him. I'm not getting to know Him. I'm not attempting to establish a relationship with Him. What John is writing to encourage us this morning is, You know Him. Danny Aiken wrote a commentary on this text. This is what he said. We now know in an abiding, permanent relationship the one who has existed from all creation and the one whom we see in the Gospels, the one who is God is now our father do you hear that the one who is god is now our father and he's a good father a great father a perfect father no longer is he our enemy but through the forgiveness of sins and his gracious adoption we have come to know him as father here's what that means As you sit here this morning because of Jesus, get this, you are a loved, accepted child of the Father and there's not one thing you have to do today to earn that position. Secure. Secure. Paul wrote about it this way in Colossians 3. Listen to what he said. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you hear that? Do you hear all the past tense? He didn't say, one day you will die. And one day when you die out there in the dark, dismal future somewhere, then you will be hidden with Christ in God. If he wrote it that way, we could have some hope. There may be someday out there. But he didn't say. He said, hey, you've died. And your life right now, as you sit in this building, because you've been born again, your life, it's already hidden with Christ in God. Here's what that means. My eternity is so secure, the Father sees me already there. Do you hear that? My eternity is so secure, the Father sees me already there. Hey, your life's already hidden with Christ in God. It's done. And again, it's in the passive voice. I didn't hide myself. He's hidden me. Here's what that means. My mentor Clyde Cranford said it this way. Our security rests not in our ability to hold on to Him, but in His ability to hold on to us. If I was walking down the street with a little child, we're on a sidewalk, and there's all this traffic out in the street. If we're walking down the street and there's some shiny little something in the street that the little child wants to grab. If we're walking down the sidewalk and we're holding hands, And that little child darts out in the street. (laughs) If the little child is just holding on to my hand, we're in trouble. Because that little shiny thing is going to be there and that little child is going to let go and run after it. And when it does, there's danger. But if I'm holding on, that little child may, may, may stumble. They might fall, they might even skin their knee. But they're not getting in the street. Why? Because their security doesn't rest in them holding on to my hand, their security rests in me holding on to their hand. Here's what the text says. My eternal security does not rest in me holding on to him. My eternal security rests in the fact my father's holding on to me. And I'm hidden with Christ in God. It is settled. It is done. And and we don't even have time to unpack it. But but Paul Paul said we're hidden with Christ in God. Did you hear that? It means that our eternal security is wrapped up in the unity of the Trinity. Meaning, in order for you and I to lose our salvation, there would need to be some breach in the triune Godhead. You cannot get more secure than that. Forgiven. Secure. Here's the third word, and we'll finish. Victorious. Victorious. Here's the third phrase he gives us. Because you have overcome... The evil one. You've overcome the evil one. The word overcome is a word that means to win a victory, to defeat, to prevail. This phrase, the evil one, who's he talking about here? Well, if he just said the evil, that word evil is a word that means morally or socially worthless, wicked, evil, bad, worthless. But when you put the definite article on it in the New Testament and make it the evil one, every time it's used that way in the New Testament, it is always referring to the person of Satan or the devil himself. There's a false teaching out there that describes life on earth as though God and Satan are entrenched in a battle Between equal foes. There's a lot of Christians who walk around with that kind of mentality. Like, God and Satan are at war. There's this war going on. And we're just hoping beyond all hope that that, that we win the war. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. Can I tell you what the truth is? The battle has already been won. The enemy has already been defeated. It began as a prophecy in the book of Genesis chapter 3. I want to put this up here. In Genesis chapter 3, God spoke to the serpent a curse. He spoke to Satan, and here was the curse. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. That's what he said. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel." This word bruise is a word that means to crush. Here's what God said all the way back in the garden to the enemy. My son is going to come through the seed of a woman. That in and of itself, biologically, doesn't even make sense. But he said, my son is going to come through the seed of a woman. And yes... You will bruise him on the heel. But he will crush your head. Let me tell you what happened on the cross. Jesus came, born of a virgin, into this world, God became a man. And on the cross, Jesus extinguished the full blow of the wrath and the judgment of God against sin. On the cross, the enemy bruised the heel of the Son of God. On the cross, Jesus suffered in anguish and in agony and in horror for our sin. So much so that God the Father turned His back on God the Son. And Jesus, God in the flesh, Died on the cross. The enemy bruised him on the heel. But on Sunday morning, Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. And when Jesus came out of that tomb, he crushed. The enemy's head. The enemy has already been defeated. What we have today is a defeated foe. Listen to me. I have read the back of the book, and we win. Now, our enemy thinks he's still got a fighting chance. And so there are two ways that he tries to deceive us. The Bible says he's roaming around like a lion. But get this, like a lion. He's not one, he just thinks he is. Like a lion. Here's the two ways he tries to deceive us. Number one, here's the word, accusation. Here's what the enemy does. He comes and he tries to bring you guilt. And condemnate. every time we fall, every time we fail, what does he say? You're worthless. You're good for nothing. You're a second-class citizen of the kingdom. You don't belong in church. You shouldn't even go to church. You don't need to open your Bible. God doesn't want to be with you. But John says, you and I, he said it in verse 14, we're strong. The word strong comes from the Greek word that its root means to be able. When the enemy comes with accusation, when the enemy comes with guilt, when the enemy comes with condemnation, you and I can stand with confidence before the Father because of Christ, we are able. In chapter 2, he opened and he said, Jesus is our propitiation. The root of the word propitiation is a word that means satisfaction. I can't wait to tell you this. Listen, (laughs) this morning, as you sit here in this room, God is 100% satisfied with you. When he comes to accuse, he has no ground. You know why? Because my father's 100% satisfied with me. You know why? Not because of me. Not because I've earned that. Not because I deserve that. That's who I am in Christ. So he comes with accusation. Here's the second way he comes. He comes with temptation. With temptation. What is that? That's that's his lie to steal and rob away from us the life that God has for us. And we looked at that a couple of weekends ago. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go online and watch that. Because here's what John said in verse 14. Because you are strong, you can deal with accusation. But then he said, the word of God abides in you so you can deal with temptation. How do we deal with temptation? Remember what I told you a couple weeks ago? Here's the key. We expose the lies of the enemy to the truth of God and by faith, walk in the truth. Listen, the enemy's already defeated. The battle's already won. When he comes with accusation, what do we do? We find our security, our satisfaction. We're already forgiven. We're already secure. Who I am in Christ, done. When he comes with temptation, what do we do? The word of God abides in you, so you run to the truth of God. You expose the lie of the enemy to the truth of God. And what do you do? By faith, you grab hold of the truth. And what is that? That's just living out who I already am in Christ. What is that? Victorious. Victorious. So here's the three words. For everybody in this room today, if you've been born again, forgiven, secure, victorious. Let's pray. Father, this morning, would you speak to us through your word? God, would you give us ears to hear what it is you desire to say? And as we sit here today in the stillness of this moment, just a moment, our team is going to lead us in a song of worship. It's an opportunity to respond to what we've heard God say to us today. This morning, if you're here and you've (coughs) never been born again, you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about today. You've never experienced his forgiveness While we're singing this song of worship in just a moment, we invite you to come to one of our pastors that are going to be here at the front. You can come to one of them and simply say, all you have to say is this, I need Jesus. If you want to experience this forgiveness, if you want this life that only he can bring, you just come say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God. All you got to do is come. For others of you today, maybe you're a believer and you've been struggling with guilt and condemnation. If you've let the accusation and the temptation of a defeated foe wreck your life. Maybe today you just want to come and be alone with God in one of these altars and just cry out to God and embrace who you are in Christ. For others of you, maybe you want to come and pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, your relationship, whatever it is, as God moves. But for the rest of us, as we sing this song, let us worship and celebrate this great God that we serve today. Lord, hear our cry. Holy Spirit of God, would you speak right now? God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that today they would come to Jesus. God, I pray today they'd be saved. I pray today they'd find forgiveness. Lord, your forgiveness is available to them. God, have your way today. Lord, we bless you. We love you. We honor you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.